Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by, and welcome to Photronics Third Quarter Fiscal Year 2021 Earnings Call. At this time, all participant lines are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star than one on your telephone. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded Wednesday, August 25, 2021. I would now like to turn the conference over to Troy Dewar, Vice President of Investor Relations. Thank you, Sarah. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our review of Photronics 2021 third quarter financial results. Joining me this morning are Peter Curlin, our Chief Executive Officer, John Jordan, our Chief Financial Officer, and Chris Prodler, our Chief Technology Officer. The press release we issued earlier this morning, along with the presentation materials which accompanies our remarks, are available on the Investor Relations section of our webpage. Comments made by any participants on today's call may include forward-looking statements that include such words as anticipate, believe, estimate, expect, forecast, in our view. These forward-looking statements are based upon a number of risks, uncertainties, and other factors that are difficult to predict. Actual results may differ materially from those expressed or implied, and we assume no obligation to update any forward-looking information. At this time, I will turn the call over to Peter. Thank you, Chilean. Good morning, everyone. We achieved record revenue in the third quarter as robust design environment led to growing photo mass demand across our markets. This marked the second consecutive quarter of record revenue. As you will formally from John in a few minutes, we expect another record quarter in Q4. The overall outlook for the semiconductor and display industries, including nearly every company within these sectors, continues to improve. Among other things, these indicators point to a boost in capital equipment spending by chip and panel makers that will acquire photo maps once installed. All signs point to a prolonged period of market strength. This is truly a very positive period for the industry, for photo mass demand, and for photronics. Gross margin improved in the quarter as the benefit from an increase in revenue on fixed cost absorption was aided by price increases for certain mainstream IC nodes. Operating margin also improved with additional upside due to a one-time gain on the sale of a fixed asset. These results place us within the range of our long-term target model, well ahead of the three-year horizon. A growing top line and expanding profit margins are critical elements of our strategy and validate that we are on the right path. Cash flow generated from operations was strong this quarter. We bought new tools and continued our share repurchased activity, while at the same time increasing our cash balance. The significance of this cannot be overstated. We've invested and we continue to invest in organic growth for our business. These investments are targeted and aligned with our customers' technology roadmaps, supported by long-term purchase agreements that provide assurance that newly installed tools will ramp quickly. We can see significant investments in the device margins that can arise from underutilized tools and improve our IT. The strong balance sheet we have built to maintain positions us to sustain this investment approach. Since 2017, annual revenue has grown 40%. Throughout the peak quarter, revenue was up to 58%. We are on track to achieve our fourth consecutive year of record revenue, growing at a compact annual rate of 10% per year since repositioning the business in 2017. Over that same time period, high-end IC revenue nearly doubled, and high-end FPD revenue increased fivefold. This did not happen by accident. 
is the anticipated result of a clear, deliberate strategy to invest in areas that would generate the highest growth while also enabling improved return on capital. From a market perspective, our investment focus has been clear. Geographic expansion into China for both IC and FB, FPD and technology inflections in FPD, particularly a transition to AMOLED in mobile displays. In addition to these macro trends, there are some drivers that are applicable to the photo mass sector. Expanded use of EUV by captives for I and IC, and industry photo mass capacity being sold out in mainstream IC. You also cannot ignore growing nationalism that is spurring capacity buildup in multiple regions, including the U.S. and Europe. All of these factors support our belief that we are in a prolonged period of growth in photo mass demand. A key element of our investment strategy is to line our operations with the fastest growing sectors in the markets we serve. In FPD, this has included both mobile displays and ultra-large screen TVs. We've already seen the positive impact of past investments in these growth catalysts on our financial results. To maintain this performance, we continue to focus on high value and high growth segments of the market. This includes AMOLED for mobile, which is expanding beyond smartphones into large form factors such as tablets and laptops. AMOLED also enables diverse applications including virtual reality headsets, automotive displays, and even foldable smartphones. In addition to mobile displays, the emergence of premium TVs such as WOLED and QD OLED drives innovation and requires more complex photo masks. Developing technologies such as micro and mini LED will also drive mass demand as they move to high volume production. Industry observers are expecting an increase in installation of display equipment in the next few years. If this happens, then what naturally follows is a period of demand growth for photo masks in order for the new tools to be used for manufacturing. Most of these investments are occurring in China, Korea, and Taiwan. It is no coincidence that these are the very same regions of our FPD manufacturing plants, allowing us to invest in localities that are most closely aligned with our customers' operations. This year, we added three new FPD tools to our global operations. All three tools are now installed, two of the three contributing meaningfully to revenue during our third quarter, and all three are running at capacity in our fourth quarter, ahead of plan. The investment in these tools is supported by four long-term purchase agreements that add incremental annual revenue in excess of $40 million. This is a great example of our investment strategy in action. We secured the business through long-term contracts, installed the tools, and ramped into full production ahead of schedule, and are now seeing the financial benefit as we generate revenue and profit from newly commissioned tools. In IC, a driver of innovation and demand has been node migrations. This happens not only at the bleeding edge, but also for mainstream technologies as customers move to smaller nodes to take advantage of lower cost and better performance. The latter has created a shortage of supply in the mainstream market that is giving us pricing power in this segment for the first time in my 35 years in the business. Regarding the former, as the leading chip makers, 
Most of them kept this Minsk operations EUV to a greater extent in their IC setups. A larger percentage of their mass capacity is being dedicated to EUV production. This means they need to outsource more non-EUV mass to merchant suppliers. We have pointed to this trend over the last few years and we expect that it will accelerate as the leading logic and memory manufacturers move to more advanced nodes with progressively more EUV lithography steps. In December of last year, we communicated to you our long-term outlook and strategy, providing a three-year target model. Our performance during 2021, plus our outlook for the rest of the year, demonstrates that we are on track to meet or possibly exceed these targets. Semiconductor and display markets are strong. Our revenue is growing. Margins are expanding. We are generating cash. The balance sheet is solid and we are aligned with several growth vectors to position us for future success. I really like where we are as well as the direction we are going. We'd like to thank all our employees for your superb effort to generate yet another record quarter for Photronics. At this time, I will turn the call over to John. Thank you, Peter. Good morning, everyone. Third quarter results benefited from strong demand trends, leading technology, broad customer exposure, and tremendous market presence to deliver record revenue of $171 million in the third quarter, which was 7% over the record set in Q2 and up 8% year over year, extending the positive trajectory we established earlier in the year and we believe will continue into the fourth quarter. We also completed our strategic capacity expansion in FPD ahead of the schedule, enabling us to more quickly enjoy the larger production output. IC revenue improved 5% quarter over quarter and 8% year over year to a record of nearly $118 million. High-end revenue benefited from strong logic demand, especially in Taiwan and China. Mainstream also continued to grow on strong demand and better pricing as we realized the full benefit of the pricing environment on some mainstream IC nodes throughout Asia. Revenues to China overall were a record, 10% better than last quarter and 46% over the same quarter last year. IC revenue into China represented 29% of total IC revenue. We are encouraged by the macro trends driving robust design activity across the semiconductor industry. Additionally, the outlook for wafer fab equipment continues improving, which means more tools in operation that will need photo masks to produce chips. All of this contributes to our optimism that current trends will continue into 2022 and potentially beyond. FPD revenue of nearly $53 million was also a record, 11% better than the second quarter and 7% improvement over the third quarter of last year. Growth in AMOLED displays used in mobile applications was the largest contributing factor. Sequentially, G10.5 Plus demand improved as our customers are bringing on new capacity and introducing new designs for ultra-large screen TVs. Mainstream FPD also grew as our new tools expanded our output. 
FPD revenue into China was 53% of total FPD revenue in the quarter, up 9% sequentially and 2% year over year. Similar to IC, we expect current demand trends to continue in FPD, fueling continued growth from a full quarter of that new capacity. Mobile demand should continue to be the growth factor as more smartphones, tablets, and laptops adopt high-value AMOLED technology. Elsewhere, there are signs that the LCD pricing move higher over the last several quarters is ending, meaning the LCD boom is nearing an end. That would be supportive of new design releases as panel makers move to offer improved features and performance to maintain market share and revenue levels. Overall, we're very optimistic on the demand outlook for display photo masks. Margins improved in the quarter with the flow down from operating leverage. <clears throat> Gross margin improved to 26.6%, supported by better pricing in mainstream IC and better product mix, particularly in FPD. Operating margin was 16.7%, including a $3.5 million gain on the sale of a lithography tool. We're very pleased with the progress resulting from our focus on margin expansion. Below the line, income tax provision increased due to increased earnings and the gain I mentioned earlier. Net income to non-controlling interest increased with the strong performance of our joint ventures in China and Taiwan, and other income increased due to unrealized gain on foreign exchange. Earnings per diluted share, including about $0.06 cents a share from the gain on sale of the tool, was $0.28 cents based on $61.5 million diluted shares outstanding. Cash and equivalents increased to $283 million. With $118 million in debt, net cash is $165 million. Operating cash flow in the quarter was $55 million. Year-to-date, we've generated $113 million operating cash flow. Capital expenditures of $19 million in the quarter brings our year-to-date total for CapEx to $87 million, nearly net of nearly $6 million in subsidies received. We're still forecasting CapEx of about $120 million for the year. For next year, we're not yet prepared to provide specific guidance on CapEx, but we do expect it to be lower than this year, focused primarily on IC in the mainstream business. We spent $12.5 million repurchasing close to another million shares of our stock during the quarter, bringing the total year-to-date to 3 million shares for $36 million, and cumulatively $53 million spent of the $100 million authorization currently active. We believe there's significant value in P-Lab, so we intend to continue buying shares under this authorization. Before I provide fourth quarter guidance, I'll remind you that our visibility is always limited as our backlog is typically only one to three weeks, and demand for some of our products is inherently uneven and difficult to predict. Additionally, the ASPs for high-end mask sets are high, and as this segment of the business grows, a relatively low number of high-end orders can have a significant impact on our quarterly revenue and earnings. Government actions to address health concerns or trade policy may also impact on our results. 
Given those caveats, we expect fourth quarter revenue to be in the range of $171 to $179 million. As we've discussed throughout our commentary, end market demand factors are favorable, and we expect them to stay that way at least through the fourth quarter. In addition, we expect further benefit from our recent capacity expansion. Based on those revenue expectations and our current operating model, we estimate earnings per share for the fourth quarter to be in the range of 21 to 29 cents per diluted share. In summary, third quarter results are a continuation of the trajectory begun earlier in the year and ahead of the outlook we provided at the beginning of 2021. The catalysts energizing that trajectory are constructing a market environment for photo masks that we anticipate will last for the next several quarters and potentially longer. We have invested to align our operations with these market trends and will continue to strategically invest to grow revenues, expand margins, optimize cash flow, and improve our return on capital. I will now turn the call over to the operator for your questions. Thank you. As a reminder to ask a question, you would need to press star then one on your telephone. To withdraw your question, please press the pound key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from the line of Tom Diffley with DA Davidson. Your line is now open. Okay, thank you. Uh, good morning. First, I was wondering if you had seen any supply chain issues or COVID-related impacts of your quarter or if it needs them embedded in your outlook. Our, um, you know, we continue to, you know, operate everywhere uh, around the world, right, with, you know, COVID. And we, I think, have been aggressive at managing our, you know, supply chain. So we do have, you know, like our customers, you know, some challenges with the tool suppliers in particular and their ability to service tools uh, that obviously showed up or was in the quarter and it's in, you know, baked into, you know, our guidance, you know, moving uh, forward. So overall quality of support has deteriorated somewhat. Um, we historically have done a lot of our own self-maintenance. So this internal capability that we have developed for years to uh, drive cost out of our business, I think, has paid, you know, great benefits uh, during COVID. And we you know, expect business to, you know, continue more or less, you know, uninterrupted as it has. Okay. Well, that's great to hear. And then, Peter, um, obviously you guys are, you know, sound like you're very encouraged by the flat panel display market and all the drivers going forward. Um, but it seems as on a near-term basis, you're somewhat capacity limited, uh, you know, ramping revenues with new tools coming online. I was just curious, you talked about not really uh, expanding investments with capital spending next year on the flat panel side. The focus will be on IC. So just kind of curious how you reconcile the fact that that's a fast-growing market and you seem to be not investing as heavily into it going forward. Yeah, if you look at that market, Tom, uh, you know, our IC business, as we, uh, I think, elaborated 
the high end is strong, the mainstream is sold out. Uh, the FPD business is not that. Uh, it's not the case. We are sold out because of our technology position, but to the best of our ability to discern it, none of our competitors are. Mm. So uh, we're operating in a market where our tools are, you know, fully loaded. You know, others, you know, are not. And uh, uh, you know, this gives us, you know, some degree of, uh, you know, uh, conservatism as we look at uh, you know, investments we're, you know, willing to make. You know, we continue to talk to customers. I'll just highlight again, you know, the new tools we just installed, I've never seen in my career here or in my career period uh, new tools installed and ramped so uh, quickly. And it's obvious why that happened. You know, we had commitments from customers uh, to make it happen in advance of the tools, you know, being installed. So we're aspiring to create the same, you know, scenario in that market in, uh, in a situation where uh, all the competitors have excess uh, capacity. So to the extent we can continue uh, to drive the strategic approach we have used there, uh, we'll get more aggressive. So uh, we'll see how it goes. There's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, AMOLED Fedomia's uh, capacity you know, coming online, not for the myth, but AMOLED display capacity coming online in China this year. Uh, basically, the way we count it anyways, uh, almost doubling from the beginning of the year to uh, the end of the calendar year. So there's a lot of AMOLED mass demand. Samsung's market share is dropping. The Chinese market share is increasing. LG's business is growing. Yet their market share is, I think, the way we see anyways, basically relatively consistent, but because the market is so strong, their business is up. So the market looks good uh, as far as uh, downstream is concerned. We're sold out. It's a way to make money. But the conservatism comes because the, none of our competitors are. Okay, great. No, that's encouraging. Um, and then finally, when you look at the mainstream market uh, in very tight supply right now, are you seeing anybody add capacity, uh, photo mask making capacity at the mainstream side, or is it still not economical to buy new tools to service this market? You know, what we see our competitors you know, doing as you know, we are doing, and that is trying to add point tools wherever they can uh, to, you know, Eat more output out of uh, you know out of the mainstream uh, installed base, uh, and as you look harder, right, and as the market continues to improve, you know you find ways to you know we as well as our competitors are finding ways where it makes sense to uh, you know again not add lines but you know add tools, and that's clearly part of you know our focus in the you know in the upcoming year. The other thing I would say is I, we've made repeated comments that the mainstream market's oversold uh, in Asia, but this trend is now, you know, pretty prevalent in Europe too. So our European business is now oversold. So this sets the stage if it continues you know, to walk prices up in Europe as we have 
uh, in Asia. <laughs> Whether reaches into the U.S. or not, uh, you know, time will tell. But the market in the mainstream is, you know, strengthening everywhere. And one one comment that uh, I made, kind of buried in the script, you know, historically, right, what's driven our business has been no transitions. And historically, those transitions have always been at the bleeding edge. But now we're seeing a significant and growing number of no transitions. I mean, this has been going on for a while, but it's now, you know, it's quite clear. We're seeing no transitions in the mainstream from, you know, 110 to 90 or 90 to 65 or 65 to 55 or 40. And these are uh, respins of products or product revisions that, uh, you know, historically would not have happened. But because I think of a few things, you know, Moore's Law slowing down, or in fact really the economic consequences of Moore's Law stopping at 28, as well as uh, the, the growth of China and the, the impacts that are following that, we're seeing a, a much larger, greater number of no transitions in the mainstream business. And that is new growth that was really never there before, not there in any kind of material way. Okay. No, I appreciate the color. Thank you. Thank you. As a reminder to ask a question, you would need to press star then one on your telephone. Our next question comes from the line of Gus Richard with Northland. Your line is now open. Yes, thanks for taking the question. Um, first of all, on you know, you, you mentioned the some of the captives are outsourcing as they fill in more EUV uh, in their internal shops. I was wondering if you give us a sense of where uh, captive versus merchant has been over the last few years, where it is today, and where you think it might be in a couple of years from now. Yeah, so the captive versus merchant is a a long story, right? Uh, uh, a very long story. Uh, when, we, when I look back 35 years, when I started in the business, the market was about 15% merchant. And if you look back 20 years, it had extended to be about 65. And uh, what's happened is that uh, in the IT space, anyways, you know, it's pushed back to now where the merchant market is you know, about 35% and, you know, holding, you know, it looks pretty, right now, pretty stable. Um, if you look at our business and you look back to 2017, when outsourcing from EUV really started, our captive business, our business with captives has about doubled over that period of time to the point where it's now approaching almost $100 million. So uh, uh, we've seen, you know, that as a you know, growth, you know, vector for us. And uh, we expect that it's going to, you know, continue. So that's kind of a, a broad, you know, brush. And as Moore's Law comes to a halt, when that happens, 
it's very hard to understand what purpose a captive has. So I think in the very long term, we'll see a shift back to, uh, you know, buy versus, you know, make. But that's not within the horizon of a typical Wall Street investor. So is that going to have a biggest effect in the next year or two? No, but uh, uh, in the five to ten year horizon, it's hard to see why an IC manufacturer would want to be making its own masks. My my opinion, anyways. Yeah, and actually, your 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 answer leads me to the next question. You know, um, because Moore's law is slowing more advanced processor companies are moving to heterogeneous integration with, you know, trailing edge die uh, co-packaged with leading edge die, and you know, you're disaggregating designs. Um, it's it's early days in this transition. Is are you guys seeing any benefit? From that at this point, or um, or even what's being done in cell phones. Yeah, Chris, would you uh, like? So we do we do have an active uh, uh, packaging business, and Chris, why don't you uh, take that one? Uh, n- not okay. packaging, but the actual dye. Yeah. Okay. Well, for uh, yeah. I'll let Chris answer. I'll let just let Chris answer uh, the business. Go ahead, Chris. Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, so, the, yeah, there's two pieces to that. One is the lithography needed to put together those integrated packages, just as you know. Uh, we do see some uh, roadmap emerging on what's called packaging lithography, uh, and it's just the beginning of it, but we are seeing masks in the litho get a little more complex. So there's kind of an early nascent business in that, and also we're developing some technology in that area. Uh, the question you asked, is do, are we seeing an impact on more designs uh, due to the way chips are being integrated? And I think we are seeing that. You know, ASIC uh, has come back pretty strong as a design tool. It really had been hollowed out significantly, at least stopped growing due to FPGAs and other things. Uh, due to power, performance, cost reasons, uh, FPGAs and all kinds of gate arrays are losing market share. This is actually the only device family to shrink uh, in 2021, that's projected. So you are seeing a pivot back to ASICs, and smaller form factor ASICs that go into these packages definitely is a trend. Even going down to things that you know users call chiplets, very very small, purpose built, relatively inexpensive die, uh, where the value is is through the integration of those together into a package. Uh, we do see that trend. So that you know kind of leads to resurgence in design activity. Uh, across the board, and this is one of the things pushing uh, uh, the mainstream market forward. Uh, so for heterogeneous, it's at the beginning phases, but definitely that's a positive trend uh, for design tape-outs, and we see the signs of it now. And yeah, thank you, Chris. Just, just, I, just, just to add one point, and I misinterpreted your question, but Chris obviously hit it right, uh, right on its head. You know, when I was a young boy in this business, ASICs dominated. They absolutely dominated. And over the years, over the last uh, 15 years, they faded away. Uh, and FPGAs were a significant reason why that transpired. But, uh, you know, it looks like it's back to the future. We're, as you, Chris, we're in the early days of it. But uh, this is really good for, you know, overall photomass demand. Got it. That's very helpful. And then 
just in terms of um, uh, um, you know packaging lithography and, and mature, um, you know what what nodes are tight in in your mature IC lines, um, and you know where is lithography and packaging these days, and where is it going over the next couple of years? Yeah, again, Chris, uh, why don't you uh, take that, and I'll I'll fill in whatever I think uh, uh, is, is is missing. So go ahead, Chris. Okay, sure. I mean, we we uh, use a relatively broad definition of uh, mainstream today, which is uh, up to but not including 28 nanometer nodes. So quite broad. But if you wanted to break that down into finer categories. You would have, let's say, you know, mature legacy, 90 nanometer, 110 nanometer, maybe in greater, and then kind of mid-range nodes, uh, 40, 55. There are steps in the mask technology between those that uh, bring different sorts of value. So mainstream for us, at least the way we talk about it in this context, is quite broad. And then our high end, at least today, generally starts in 28 and goes down. Um, as far as packaging lithography, uh, there's kind of two trends that have unfolded in the last, I would say, three to five years. One was the effort to try to do packaging lithography on larger substrates. This is so-called panel or package on panel. Uh, and we were starting to see that substrate scaling, uh, mid-range masks, the nine 14-inch masks, which are significantly larger than IC size masks. We still see some of that. But uh, what we're finding, uh, the stronger trend, particularly on the leaders now, is wafer-level packaging, so going back to standard size IC masks uh, and kind of doing it at, at wafer-level scale. That, that trend is much stronger now, especially the high end of packaging. And the types of ground rules you see there uh, in, the, in the very, very low end case, 40, 50 micron types of, of via holes and things like that, down to a few microns uh, at mask level uh, for wiring and, and that sort of thing. So in that context, it would be a relatively mainstream mask technology. But there are some unique characteristics of those packaging masks uh, that uh, allow some technology injection into them and some differentiation. Uh, it has to do with the substrates. The substrates are very warped. Uh, the way you have to control the CDs on the mask, the way the masks are integrated into the lithography is somewhat unique. So the dimensions are large, but there are some packaging-specific technologies that need to be developed to serve that market, and we are working on them. And just roughly how big of the IC business is, is packaging these days in terms of um, mass demand uh, of your uh, IC revenue? Yeah, I don't think we would comment up, but I would say maybe Peter or John might, but I would say it's relatively small. You know, we don't break it out, so that's one reason, you know, to show you it's a relatively small percent um, of the total. Uh, so, yeah, but I don't want to give specific numbers. Yeah, yeah we, don't, we don't track it uh, as a separate segment yet, so I, I really couldn't, you know, add much more than to, than to say it's significantly less than 10% of our IC business presently. The one area that, that might be interesting to lump into packaging, you know, for on LCD side or display side, mini LED and micro LED trends, uh, that's driving a different set of 
for lack of a better word, packaging or integration type masks that actually have a lot of the characteristics of IC packaging masks. So the interconnection circuitry and how those LEDs are wired up uh, and how the micro LEDs will be wired up also drives an interesting set of lithography technologies uh, and consequently mask technologies as well. So we'll start to see at some point some convergence between some of that technology from a lithography perspective as well, between FPD and IC. Got it, got it. But, but many micro-LED, um, much like packaging in general, still is, is, is an immaterial portion of your business? Yeah, I, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Because, it's, yeah because it's in development mode, but to go back to, you know, I think Chris made a, a good transition. To the extent that we have an active rather than the package, then a passive, you know, backlight, uh, you know, the mass sets utilize uh, standard uh, LCD uh, technology with a mass set complex complexity approaching a rigid OLED uh, display mass set. So uh, we go mini LED or micro LED, and we have uh, an active uh, backlight. Uh, that 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 those are good. That's good mess. That's good business for a mask maker. But you use it as display mask making equipment rather than IC mask making equipment. Got it. Got it. Very helpful. Thank you so much. Thank you. We do have a follow up question coming from the line of Tom Diffley with D A Davison. Your line is now open. Uh, yeah, thank you. I have a quick question for John. When you look at the target model, um, what do you need to bridge the gap from the $700 million today to the 750 in the high end of the target model in terms of capital spending or just additional capacity? Yeah, th Tom, we've, we've talked about what we're going to use for uh, modeling CapEx uh, going forward, and we've assumed that it would be a $100 million spend um, and that's just a, a, a rough estimate without specific attribution as to uh, product lines or tools. Um, so beyond uh, beyond this year, as we said in the comments, uh, we, we don't have our specific budgeting done yet. That's actually going to be done in a few weeks. So I think if we just stay with the 100 million estimate for, for each year, uh, that's, as, that's as specific as we can get. Okay. And then um, if you do that, is there a noticeable difference in depreciation that gets worked into the model, or is there a pretty even split between spending going in and old tools coming out? Yeah, you know, we've got a lot of old tools rolling off as we add the new ones. So our depreciation has stayed right in the range of $90 million. Um, I think a few years ago, when we, uh, 2018, I think it was, when we – when we did our first uh, multi-year model, we were assuming that the depreciation was going to increase to over 100 million. But uh, with all the tools rolling off, we're staying right in the 90, and I think probably 100 million would be the the, uh, the highest level for depreciation. Great. And okay. if you're looking you, at John. that chart, um, you can see that uh, you know we're approaching right on a run rate basis the 700 million dollar column at our margins, both gross and operating, we're approaching the mid-level of the chart 
price at 725. The reason for that is, as we described on the last call, we're seeing about a two margin point bump on both gross and operating margins due to the price increase in the mainstream. So it kind of shifts, it shifts the scale in, in, a, in a very meaningfully positive way. If you look at that chart that we put up at our analyst day, you'll see that we're basically shifted one column to the right on the profile of the income statement versus uh, the revenue required to reach it. Okay, yeah, that's great. Um, and then when you look at the uh, the mix, how big an impact can mix have in any one quarter on, um, I guess, more on the, the EPS versus the revenue line? Yeah, I could, I, thanks for that question, Tom. It's kind of a funny question because, <laughs> uh, you know, mix, mix can be significant. So in FPD this quarter, uh, you know, the mix tended toward higher margin uh, products, and, and if that continues, then our margin will, you know, will, will reflect that benefit. Uh, if it goes back to the lower margin products, it has a, a better effect on revenue, but our margin will... So trying to predict mix, especially in this business where we've always said we have two to three weeks of backlog, uh, is pretty difficult. Obviously, if the mix tends toward the higher margin products, uh, we'll, we'll reflect that in the audience. Right, but I would, okay. you know, big picture, Tom, I would go back and say that uh, I think everybody listening or who's been closely, you know, fall into this bucket, have been close to the company for a long time, knows that we had just gone through a period where we built and ramped two facilities in China, right? And to do that, you can't do that without draining, putting a drain on your income statement. And if you look at the current quarter, right, we are approaching EPS of a dollar a share, right, which has been a, a very long-term target for the leadership team, right? We haven't been there as a company, you know, since the turn of the 21st century. It's been a long time since anybody here has seen a dollar a share, and you can see that it's right it's right in front of us now. So the, the real dramatic growth for Fertronics this year isn't the top line, although you know 10% is not bad, right? It's the bottom line, and yeah. Uh, yeah. So we are we are we are at the dollar share you know, run rate right now, right? Before we even exited uh, the uh, the calendar year, 35% earnings growth year over year. That's dramatic, right? That is really dramatic, and that has always been since I've been here for 13 years. The knock on the company is not uh, most of the financial metrics have been strong. What has been, uh, you know, most in the mind of shareholders is you know earnings, and we're we're delivering on that now. And if you look at our you know, China operations, they're just like one of the gang. The profile of the income statement is no different than the profile of the income statement at a consolidated level. So, you know, China is signed, sealed, and delivered as far as, you know, being a uh, contributing, upstanding member of our, G, you know, of our geographic, uh, you know, factory uh, footprint. We're not happy or satisfied, but... On one hand, but on the other, you know, China is, you know, it's right there now. It's right there with everybody else. 
Okay. No, it's great to see, and I appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Oren Hirschman with AIGH Investment Partners. Your line is now open. Hi. Good morning. Congratulations on the progress. Um, I just wanted to ask, just in terms of the overall industry dynamic, you know, there is a huge lead time just in terms of getting tools. And obviously, there are, there are only really three major guys left on captive. You know, does there come a point where, and you know, we're because of the lack of the ability to add capacity additions here and the dynamics that you described in the overall industry where where photomasks are becoming a gating factor on, on designs going into production? And if so, how does that affect you? Yeah, well, yeah, right now customers are experiencing lead times in the mainstream markets that you know, they've never seen. So it is impacting them, and they're willing uh, as a result, basically, you know, to pay more. So, um, and you are correct that the photomask industry, like the semiconductor industry, is served by even a fewer number of key suppliers with, you know, limited capacity. So the industry is not to the, to the point that, uh, you know, you're uh, describing. What it's forced us to do is plan for CapEx with longer cycles. So we're putting capital authorizations in front of our board six months in advance of when we would have done it historically so that we can continue, you know, adding, you know, capacity. So um, I don't know what our competition is doing, but we've, we've, We've changed our capital authorization process to look forward farther in time as the lead time of our equipment suppliers has stretched. That's how we're managing it. I can't say how others are. And we're also more demanding on uh, the projections for those investments. So these investments have to meet our uh, target hurdle rate in order for us to make the decision and to even propose it to the board. So in the last yeah, couple I of years, that's made a big difference in... I assume part of that is what you described, where the pool is basically sold out before the pool even goes into production, if, if possible. Well, it's, the, the way to make sure that happens is get customers to make uh, uh, commitments to buy capacity before you install it. And historically, we haven't done that, but over the last uh, four or five years, we have. So we actually make it more difficult for ourselves to buy capital because we have to do a lot of work in advance of it. Uh, but the, the impact on the financial company, you know, I think shows now clearly for itself. So, um, yeah, it's a good time to be adding uh, you know, capacity in our markets. Having said that, um, in the IT part of the business, at the high end, qualified qualifying new capacity and new nodes takes time. So uh, you can install a tool, and it could easily be you know, six or nine months till it's fully utilized. Not because the demand isn't present, but because 
the customers require extensive qualification to ensure that it doesn't affect their wafer yield. Okay, this is a more follow-up question. Just, you know, it's, it's nice that, you know, thank God you made it to the dollar type of run rate, but, you know, it, the model is very sensitive, as you said, and can you see a path how you get to dollar fifty, dollar eighty, two dollar over time, assuming that the dynamics in the industry stay somewhat similar, and you know how how prominent does price increase factor into that? I'm sorry, your 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 line is not you know very good, but I think the question you asked was we've we're at a, we're beyond a dollar uh, run rate right now. You know, can we? sustain it so we actually uh, uh, deliver it. So I'll let John answer that. I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the question is, can you see can you see going out further, can you see a path to get to $1.50, $1.82, and what would that be, path be based on besides some capacity additions? Would, would it also include some minor price increases, et cetera, if the dynamics stays somewhat similar to what we're seeing today out there? Yeah, in the in the target model that we presented in December, I think a dollar was the lowest uh, where we expected to uh, to get with a seven hundred million dollar uh, revenue level. So our expectation is is to uh, hit that dollar uh, within the next year and exceed it. And the investments that we continue to make are uh, obviously we expect them to be additive. Uh, accretive to the bottom line. So, uh, you know, in our next target model, we should have another uh, hurdle uh, beyond the dollar. Yeah, if you look back at what we presented at the seven, uh, $750 million run rate, we had EPS of $1.25 to $1.35. And clearly, uh, if revenues go up and we have pricing power, we can do better than that. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, there are no further questions at this time. I will now turn the call over to Peter Curlin for closing remarks. Thank you for joining us this morning. We appreciate your time and interest. As we enter the fourth quarter, there's a reason to believe this year will be one of the best ever for Photronics. We're on track to achieve record revenue and our aims are improving each quarter. The strategy we are following is working. We are optimistic that our best days lie ahead. I look forward to updating you on our progress. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes the Compass Call for today. We thank you for your participation and ask that you please disconnect your line.